Thank you. Thank you, Parker, for uh, reading that for us. The walk of faith. Uh, I like that. Uh, I like that terminology. Experiencing God with us. I like that also. Uh, and that really is what it's actually all about. Uh, God with us. I firmly believe that humanity, in general, has a need to connect with God. A good objective look at humanity around the world, uh, all kinds of different cultures, all kinds of different people, uh, uh, you take a look at that and you recognize and see that generally speaking, humanity has a need to connect with God. Uh, humanity is not at all agreed on what exactly that looks like, uh, who this God is, uh, how to connect with this God, how to have this God connect with us. All of that seems to be fuzzy for humanity in general. But in general, humanity has a need. You look after, at civilization after civilization around the world, and humanity has this need, this inborn need to connect with God, to experience God's presence, to experience God with us. We long to connect with God. One of the prophetic messages of the Old Testament when it came to speaking about or prophesying the birth of Jesus was that Jesus was going to be God with us. Um, and I have to believe that if humanity could hear that prophetic voice without any strings attached, without any preconceived ideas of what that means or doesn't mean, if humanity could just hear that by itself, God with us, humanity would go, yes! Yes! Because that is something that is inside all of humanity is this need, this desire, this longing to somehow be in touch with whoever, wherever, whatever that God is. And we have, uh, this month, we celebrate uh, God with us. Last week, we looked at the life of Mary. Uh, more specifically, actually, we looked at what specifically the life of Mary in this Christmas story uh, what the life of Mary teaches us about worship. And I told you that this, this whole Advent, as we head through the month of December, we're going to be asking that question, what does the Christmas story teach us uh, about worship? There is so much worship captured in the Christmas story. Uh, what does it teach us? What are some nuggets that we can pull out of the Christmas story that we can say, this teaches us something about what worship can, should, uh, look like in my, in my own personal, personal life. Last Sunday we took note, first of all, that worship is responding. Um, it is God's job to initiate. And I think we sometimes get that mixed up. Uh, it is God's responsibility to initiate. It's God's job to make the first move. He created he reveals, he invites, he plans, he speaks, 
He loves, he carries, he comforts. He pours out his love and grace and mercy. He died, he rose again. All of these things God did, Jesus did as initiation. He was initiating, he was making the first move. And then he invites humanity, us, you, me. He invites us to respond to that. And so our worship becomes our response to what God has, is, and will be doing in each one of our lives. And so we looked at Mary. How did Mary respond to God in, in her life in the Christmas story? And we took note, first of all, that Mary um, wondered. And uh, some of us doers, we rebel a little bit at that notion of stopping, observing, thinking, allowing it to sink in, and giving ourselves time, believing that it is appropriate response to what God has done for us to simply stop and wonder and ponder and be amazed by. And so that's one of, the, one of Mary's responses. She decided, or her heart decided, that was an appropriate response to all that God has done for me would be for me to, to wonder. And then she submitted. I continuously am captivated by the words that Mary spoke when the angel gave her the message or the commission of what she was supposed to be doing. And, uh, and those words that Mary speaks in reply, her response, uh, continuously amazes me uh, when she says simply, May it be to me as you have said. And I, and I wonder how different my life would be, uh, your life would be, our lives would be, uh, if we could continuously respond to God with those words. May it be to me as you have said. Uh, she submitted. She was completely God's. And then she sang. Uh, she sang a song which seems to be kind of out of character for her. And it was a supernatural moment when she was inspired with this worship song. And she, she burst forth in song. Uh, I, think, I think if our world, fascinated with strength and making things happen... Uh, if our world would read these characteristics, meditating, submitting, and, and then singing, you know, a fluffy kind of prophetic song, um, our world would say, wow, that's a, that's a weak woman. That, that's a weak person. And uh, you take a few minutes to really look at Mary's life and what she did and how she responded and... And you go, that's anything but a weak woman. Uh, that is a woman of character. That is a woman with resolve. That is a woman with spirit, with heart. And so uh, that's how Mary responded. She experienced God with us as she responded like never before. And so it only makes sense that we would follow up uh, looking at, uh, at Mary, we would follow that up by, by looking at her fiancé. 
looking at the life of uh, Mr. Joseph. And so we ask the same question today of, of Mr. Joseph. Um, how does Joseph respond to his God? How does Joseph experience God with us? Now, we're going to do this a little different this morning. Um, we won't come up with a nice list of three responses that Joseph, uh, uh, how Joseph responded. I'm not that that would be a bad thing, but that's just not the direction that my mind was going this week as, as I was preparing. Um, partially because um, Joseph responds to God or worships God in a way that brings, in my mind, and I'm going to try and open this up for you. I hope you, you, you catch what I'm trying to say. Joseph, in the way he responds to God or worships God, does so in a way that brings together uh, what I am tempted to call uh, polar opposite responses or, or worship styles. All right, so stick with me here. So when we think uh, of worship, I feel like generally speaking, there's kind of two different extremes uh, among people or two different approaches among people. We, we'll give them names, not that these names are perfect, but we'll call one way of approaching or doing worship, we'll kind of, one extreme, we'll kind of call that the, the traditional style or the, the traditional list. And uh, these people would say that worship is uh, going to church, it's doing church, it's doing it according to the way that the system is set up, you get together, you sing, you sing hymns properly, verse by verse, in proper order, you read the Bible, you pray in words that can be understood, that make sense. Uh, you probably read the daily bread. That's fantastic in the morning. And then you say a prayer after that. You have Bible studies. You talk about what the Bible means. And then you go out and you live that among people. And that's how I worship. And that's fantastic. Uh, there is nothing wrong with that. In and of itself, uh, that is excellent. And, and then there's a, a kind of another extreme in, in the worship style. Uh, and we'll call these the free worshipers. Freedom in worship. Um, and, and in that style, the extreme, in that style would kind of be, you know, you, you, you never do the same thing two times. You're always listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and somehow spontaneity and doing things in a new way and finding new ways to express yourself without any systems, because systems stifle people in their creativity. It's important to be free and to be spontaneous and allow God to have his way with you all the time. I mean, real worship is really kind of uh, on the edge of, of kind of being out there, uh, completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Bible even uses the word at one point, being drunk with the Holy Spirit. And so that's kind of the other... Um, extreme if we're going to kind of divide this into two extremes. And, and there's nothing wrong with that style either. It's, it's absolutely fantastic in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with it. And so you kind of have these, these two extremes. And maybe by now you're starting to think, you know, where kind of do I fit on that? I, I don't know. You, you, you can think about that for yourself. Um, but we would kind of view those as, as polar opposites. 
Now here's what I want to highlight about Joseph. Um, Joseph is a man that finds a way to uniquely combine these two responses. He totally, obviously, and I'm going to show you this in a few minutes, he obviously totally believes in the supernatural. He totally believes in hearing the Holy Spirit's voice and obeying and following the Holy Spirit's voice. Uh, absolutely. Um, but he also, at the same time, totally believes that there is value in having a system and living within somewhat of a, of a system. Now, actually, let me re rephrase that. He believes that there is validity to worshiping God with a system, with a tradition, and that it is possible, uh, not just possible, it's effective worship to worship God with a system. And he brings these two together. What we would often see as kind of conflicting worship styles, he brings them together in his life. And I think it's fair to say that he equally effectively worships God from both perspectives. Joseph has an incredible blend of these two worship styles, a supernatural blend. And I intentionally use the word blend because my first, when I wrote it out first, uh, it came out as balance, that he has balance. And as I was thinking about that more, I felt uncomfortable with that word because to me it felt like balance means that you have a little bit of this and a little bit of this, but not really a whole lot of anything. Uh, you're kind of in the middle. You're, you're kind of balanced. Uh, to me, I would rather use the word blend where you have all of this and you have all of this and you put it into one package together. And so Joseph is not picking a few things here and a few things here and then trying to kind of do a balancing act. He embraces all of both and he puts it together in his, uh, in his character. Joseph is cultural, he's traditional, and in the middle of that he is strongly free and quote-unquote spirit-led. Let me show you what I mean. So according to Matthew and Luke, it says that Joseph was a descendant of David, pledged to be married to a virgin. A good, young Jewish man with a good background, traces his roots back to David, and he is pledged to be married. Now, now let me try and explain what that means. Um, that meant that the parents had arranged the marriage according to the Hebrew custom of the day. The normal contracts had been signed, and part of that contract included the fact that the girl was sexually pure. So, although they were legally married, according to the traditions and customs, they continued to live apart, each with their parents, for a period of one year. Uh, traditionally, this waiting period was to demonstrate the faithfulness of the pledge of purity given concerning the bride. If she was found to be pregnant during that period of time, she had obviously been involved in an earlier sexual relationship before the arranged marriage, and therefore the marriage could be legally annulled, 
the contract was no longer valid because one party had not fulfilled their part of the contract. If, however, the one-year waiting period demonstrated the purity of the bride, the husband would then go to the house of the bride's parents and in a grand processional march lead his bride back to his home and there they would begin to live together as husband and wife. Mary and Joseph were in this one-year waiting period when Mary was found to be with child. This could, of course, only mean one thing. She had obviously been in a sexual relationship with another man prior to the arranged marriage. Now, coming from our culture, we would assume that she has a chance to explain to Joseph what has happened. All about the angel's visit and her supernatural pregnancy. and That may have been the case and it may not have been the case. We're not totally sure. They were not in a normal 21st century North American dating relationship. They were following the customs of the day which were much different. In any case, somehow Joseph becomes aware that his wife is pregnant. And somehow he has to decide how he is going to respond. He's the man. He has been violated. He has been humiliated. How is he going to handle this? What is he going to do about this? Now up to this point we see Joseph very much as, as, as all culture and tradition. He's done things the way their culture and their tradition dictate that things should be done. We could say that his worship is all traditional up to this point, from what we know. His response to God is all traditional within the system. At this point, we begin to see another side of Joseph. According to Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, it says that Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. A sign of incredible humility. He would not make a big scene, although he had been embarrassed. He was going to be gentle in return. He had the option to take her to the magistrate and have him officially and publicly annul the marriage, publicly embarrassing the bride-to-be, but Joseph evidently saw no value in this. We will never actually know how much Joseph knew at this point, what he was really thinking. It's possible, if you allow your imagination to take you on a little journey, it's possible that, that Joseph actually knew by this time what was going on, and he maybe even believed what Mary was saying. And as a result, maybe Joseph was totally overwhelmed with the idea or the thought that he would be the earthly father to such a child. I can't do it. On the other hand, he may simply have felt, if this is what God wants to be doing with Mary, then I will quietly get out of the way and let God do what he wants to do. We don't know. All we know is that he desired to do the right thing. And I want to come back to those words over and over this morning. He desired to do the right thing. Not just culturally, but spiritually. 
And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit was looking for. Someone that was humble enough and had enough heart to do the right thing without making a big scene, without drawing all kinds of attention to self. That is what the Holy Spirit was looking for. And I believe that is still what the Holy Spirit is looking for. Men and women that desire to do the right thing. Not just because it is the cultural thing to do, and not just because it is the non-cultural thing to do, but actually, honestly, because it is the right thing to do. Joseph was a righteous man. Maybe that's a good way to describe the person that has this supernatural blend of these, these two worship styles. He desired to, he simply desired to do the right thing. And when, when, excuse me, and when men and women are in that mindset, deeply desiring to do what is right, then God finds a way to communicate what that might be with people. And that is where Joseph has the first of his four significant dreams. If you check Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 25, but after he had considered this, what I just finished saying about going and doing this divorce and doing it privately and quietly, after he had considered this, which by itself already was, was noble and honorable, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So we've gotten a little glimpse of Joseph's heart. Up until this point, by appearance, Joseph was very culturally committed. Now, he steps away from culture. When what is right and what is culture collide... What is right always wins. And so it was for Joseph. And incidentally, when what is right and freedom collide, same thing. What is right always wins. Here Joseph has heard from God and so he takes immediate steps of obedience. The one year waiting period is not yet up, but that does not matter. That whole program is shafted anyways. So he violates all custom and immediately takes Mary into his home rather than waiting till the one-year time period of betrothal has passed. Knowing just a little bit about his righteous character, he is probably thinking about Mary and the baby, and he says, let's just do the right thing. He brings her home and begins to care and provide for her. At the same time, there was no sexual relationship between them until after the birth of, of this child, Jesus. I could imagine that he could have reasoned, well, there may as well be something in this for me. I have extended myself so far, now I may as well get something out of it too. Not Joseph. This is not about me. This is about doing what is right. He did not do what he did because of what he wanted or didn't want. He was responding in 
worship. He did not do what he did because of what other people thought or didn't think. He did it or didn't do it because it was right or it was wrong. He was a righteous man. He desired to do what was right. And so we could assume that Joseph obviously had done an abrupt turn that now he didn't care about tradition anymore. Now he was going to simply go with this freedom idea and be completely and fully spirit-led. Listen to how Luke records the next series of events in chapter 2, verse 21 to 25. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, four times in these few verses, he goes back to culture and back to tradition and back to the system and he worships God within the system and he says that's good. It's an appropriate way to worship God with a system. When tradition and right and wrong don't collide then he decided to go with tradition. Remember, he was not out to make a big scene. He was not out to prove his freedom. He was not out to prove that he could do whatever he wanted or to prove that he was spontaneous and spirit-led all the time. He did not need to be seen. Unless the spirit clearly told him otherwise, he went with the system. But he was hooked on obeying the Holy Spirit. And whenever the instruction of the Holy Spirit crossed paths with tradition, there was a hands-down winner. Unique blend of styles Joseph had. A blend that I would contend we find rather hard. We tend to want to either go in this direction or in this direction. And depending on which direction we prefer to go, we tend to have this need to criticize those who go in the other direction. I think Joseph teaches us that both are equally effective ways to respond to God in worship. It is not a matter of one or the other. God is much too big for that. Back to Joseph. His story is not quite done. He continues to show us this blend of worship styles. Just when life seemed to be settling into kind of a normal system again and, and he was going all culture and all tradition again, and, and then you read in Matthew chapter 2, 13 to 14. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. I love that. It's actually very similar to what we already read in a previous section. Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Next verse. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and escaped to Egypt. Previously, I think we read, the angel came, told him, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife. So he got up, went, and took Mary home to be his wife. Obedience. He heard the Holy Spirit, and he obeyed. 
Continue reading chapter 2, verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph again while they were living in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Now listen to this again. Verse 21. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went back to the land of Israel. The Holy Spirit speaks. He obeys. Desire to do what is right. En route, he runs into something unexpected. He ends up having a decision to make. Where will his direction come from? Matthew chapter 2, verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew rather to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Over and over and over. But what sets Joseph apart is he desired to do what was right. And when we desire to do what is right, God will find a way to communicate with you. But first, desire to do what is right. And so, now Joseph has had all these supernatural, spirit-led experiences. And so you would assume that Joseph is certainly becoming, you know, very much on this side of the fence. And he's very much becoming this totally free, spirit-led kind of guy. He's done with worshiping through tradition or culture. I mean, this kind of direct line communication with God, that's pretty awesome. That means that he can now run on his own. You know, don't need culture and tradition anymore. Don't need the people around me and their dead systems just me and Jesus or me and God. You know, we got our own thing going. We're, we're talking to each other. We've got this complete open communication. Me and Jesus. There was a song years ago. Some of you may remember it if you're old as me. Uh, me and Jesus. We got our own thing going. Me and Jesus. We got it all worked out. Horrible theology. Kind of a cool, catchy song. Um, check Luke chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom or the tradition. It's not either or. See, that's how we kind of tend to think. That's our problem, but it's not God's problem. It's actually both and. That's why from the beginning we have said that Joseph is, is a blend. He's not one or the other. He's not even a nice balance between the two. He's a humble, committed member of the society in which he lives. And as much as possible, he lives within that system until the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to him and calls him to act outside of that system. And he is obedient immediately. When that obedience happens to conflict with tradition then it's all obedience to the Holy Spirit. There is a hands-down winner. It's not the system that makes a man righteous. On the other hand, it's not freedom that makes a man righteous either. It is the humble desire within his heart to do what is right. And obedience to the voice of God when he speaks. I want to close with a few verses from one verse, actually, from 1 Samuel chapter 15. So we're jumping way back into the Old Testament where we would kind of assume that it was all about tradition and all about culture and all about the law. 
Here's what God says through Samuel to King Saul. 1 Samuel 15 verse 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? That was system, that was tradition, that was culture. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Desire to do what is right. God has always been far more interested in our desire to do what is right than in systems and traditions or in freedom and expression. Don't worry too much about either of those. Rather, concern yourself with nurturing a humble heart that deeply desires to do what is right. That is the worship that God desired already in the Old Testament and in the New Testament at the time of the birth of Jesus. And I think we can assume that is exactly what God desires for our response from us today, me and you. Amen.